This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Dr. Donna, out of the great state of New York. She has a great extensive background in education as she was running her own charter school there, and now she has shifted into having her own business where she can help schools with a whole bunch of different things, and we dive into all of that on today's episode of the podcast. So stay tuned in just a few moments for this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, joined by a new friend out of Rochester, New York, Miss Donna Marie Cozine, who she started a charter school, has recently gotten out of it, super successful charter school, and now she does consulting with her company, which is Consult DMC, and she helps specifically schools figure out some of the issues that they're going through and how to combat those and get through those. And those that are regular listeners, you know that through the guests that I have, I'm always hoping you'll learn at least one thing from the guests that you can take back to your school. And we always love hearing the challenges schools are up against and all that. Well, this one is a special guest because she's going to give some actual strategies and solutions for you guys to work through maybe some of the problems you're currently facing. But I'll get off my high horse here and I'll pass it off to Donna to introduce herself. So, Ms. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today to serve your listeners. It's going to be fun. And I always start with, I love hearing about the guests and what they like to do for fun. So you're in Rochester, New York. I have never even been to New York. I've flown into an airport, flew out, so I don't count that. But what is there to do for fun in Rochester? And kind of for those that don't know, maybe where specifically that is, how close is that to New York City and all that fun stuff? Yeah, funny story. Um, I met my husband online 16 years ago, and I live downstate. And when you live downstate, you kind of have this idea that everything is right near New York City. So I was like, Rochester, how far could that be? And it turned out he was five and a half hours away. So I moved up here. It is a wonderful city, has all of the big city attractions, but just in a very small setting. So um, there are amusement parks, there are lakes, there are, there's theater right now there's the jazz festival is coming around it's very easy to get around and it's really a lovely area we are in the finger lakes region where in new york there are five lakes and they look like a finger so and they're wineries so what i like to do for fun is spend time with my family be outdoors watch my kids compete or whatever they're doing and just family time for me is my number one priority awesome and how close to new york city then is rochester we are pretty far. We're about seven hours. Okay. So that's it all. No. So Rochester is one of the big five cities in New York, and we're right between Syracuse and Buffalo, and we're on Lake Ontario. So we're way up. We're closer to Toronto than we are to New York City. Okay. So, oh, sweet. So you guys could take an easy, well, I guess that's a good question. How long if you were to drive to, I guess, one of the big cities in, in Canada? I pulled up a map while we we're talking to you just so I can truly awesome. picture it. But like so, how far, how long would that take you to get there? 
Yeah, so a few years ago, my daughter and I went to see Taylor Swift in Toronto, and it took three hours to get there, but it took eight hours to get home because there is one highway. It's called, I think, the QEW, and it was just bumper to bumper. So a lot of it depends on traffic at the border, but if there's no traffic, we can be from our door to Toronto in three and a half hours, our door to Niagara Falls in maybe an hour and 45 minutes to two hours. Aha, there we yeah. go. There we go. All right, and I'm assuming, again, I've... Uh, don't know for sure, but I'm assuming winters are brutal there. I'm sure you guys get a ton of snow and probably some harsh, you know, below zero temperatures. Am I right? That is so true. And when I lived downstate, I was a principal and an assistant principal in Bergen County, New Jersey. And downstate, even when I was a teacher in downstate New York, if they got two inches of snow, everything closed. Up here, you get 18 inches and schools are open. They close school, interestingly enough, more for the temperature than anything else because children can't be at the bus stop if it's too cold. I know it's hard to fathom, but um, the, the dumping of lots of snow does not slow down anything up here. It's the actual frigid temperatures. And there's something called lake effect snow, whereas the cold air blows across the lake, it just piles snow on. So not my favorite thing. Love brought me here. Love keeps me here. And I'm sure when my kids graduate high school, my husband and I will be, you know, wintering somewhere else. <laughs> well, I can relate to the the winter part there because I'm from Alaska and lived there for, uh, gosh, 14 years before my wife and I moved to Florida. And the same thing, snow would not cancel school. But what would, I actually don't know if I don't know if cold weather actually would. Sometimes they would delay the start of school. I remember hearing that they would delay it for like an hour, but it was ice. So it actually yeah. do the stopping because just because the buses couldn't get up the, the, there's a lot of hills and obviously mountains in Alaska. So like the buses are like, we literally can't pick up kids. So they would cancel for ice, which is so funny. So kids would be a foot, two feet of dump of snow. Boom. You're supposed to be at school at seven in the morning. So uh, I can relate. Well, I would love to hear about this charter school that you started. Just a little bit about that before we jump into kind of the consulting side. So people that are listening can kind of get a background on like, wow, like Donna knows what she's talking about for sure. Yeah, so yeah. Tell a little bit about that. Thanks. I like to talk about my street cred a little bit so people know I am legit. Um, when I moved up here, I was a successful principal in New Jersey. And when I moved up here, I started working for a company called the College Board, which everyone knows for SATs and things like that. but we had a college board model school and I became the executive coach for the principals. And I did that work for five years. And during that time, the district decided to get rid of the partnership. And in those five years, I actually had two children and my daughter at the time was three. And I thought, where is she going to go to preschool? Where is she going to go to school? I, I want to know what my options are. And at the time, Rochester was probably the worst. It was the worst school district in New York mm -hmm. and also probably the second worst to Detroit in the country. And it, it is it's a very struggling district. And at the time, charter schools were are still a viable option for families who don't have choice. And, you know, it's not just inner city families that don't have choice. Even in the suburbs, you go to where they tell you to go unless you pay for private school. And in 2010, when the Common Core came out, everyone started ripping the arts out of schools, saying we need more time for math and ELA, and we need more time for this, that, and the other thing. And it was counterintuitive to me because there's so much data on how the arts grows your capacities for reading and speaking and listening and writing and math and, and spatial understanding. I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. 
So I decided with a partner, a friend of mine, that we were going to start a charter school for the arts. Unfortunately, about four weeks before it opened, he quit. So it was me, myself, and I. We had 194 students and 32 staff members. We launched in September of 2014. Um, not only did I write the application to start the school, I wrote the first charter renewal and they were renewed the first time. They were renewed a second time and they are currently in their third, uh, their third charter. And I had loved it. And my children attended that school. So, you know, the first year we were 94% free and reduced lunch. We lived 21 miles away from the school. So we didn't qualify for busing. So my kid, my daughter at first back and forth. And then when my son hit kindergarten, the three of us back and forth. And then we decided that when my daughter was going to go to middle school, when she aged out of that program, that I would retire. So prior to doing uh, the retirement thing, I published two books. I started doing some more executive coaching on the side and started building this business called Consult DMC Inc. But I think, you know, I always say to people, the three best things I ever did in my life was first, marry my husband, second, my children, and third was starting that school because it is such a very special place. When people walk in the door, it just feels different. It is just a joyful school. Children love to be there. It is just, it's really amazing. And I'm, I'm so proud of that school. I'm proud of the people who are still there, you know, following out that dream that I had back in 2012. Man, I think you should start another one, Donna. I think, <laughs> I think that's what's next, right? So funny because somebody said to me, you need to start another charter school. And I said, my husband will divorce me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I said, I will I happily help anyone start a charter school. I just can't be the CEO again. You know, it's yeah. that season of my life has passed and I need to be the mother to my children that I promised and the wife that I promised and the partner. So, and that's, you know, for another day about those struggles with work-life balance. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the school. It's called Renaissance Academy Charter School of the Arts. Check it out and you'll be very impressed with what you see. I love it. Well, you obviously have, you have that street cred, like you mentioned, and you have that background. So now tell me kind of a little bit about what you're doing now. I know you're doing some um, some consulting and strategic yeah. stuff for schools, but let's dive into that a little bit. And then we'll, I got some questions for you too. Yeah. Awesome. So my first book is called, So You Want to Be a Superintendent, Become the Leader You Were Meant to Be. And that was birthed from a problem that I had at home. I remember being at my kitchen table and I would come home every day. And I know a lot of your listeners who are educational leaders or teachers are going to have the same experience. And I would be sitting in front of my computer and da -da -da -da, as soon as I got home and my husband said to me one day, we didn't sign up for this. And I was like, we didn't sign up for what? A new credit card? Like, I had no idea. He said, no, the kids and I did not sign up for this. And I was like, it, like, it was like I hit a wall. And he said, you come home, you're always on the computer. You know, we committed to each other to have this wonderful life. We have children. You're not present. And I was like, dang, you know, like he just hit me with this. And you know what? He's right. So I said to him, you know what, babe? you're right. And, and you guys deserve better. And I, I always said that the people who deserve the best of me were just getting the rest of me. So I was like, that's it. I'm not opening my computer when I get home with the kids. And then I was present. We had dinner, family dinner, baths, books, whatever. And then it would be time they'd be asleep. And I would get in bed with my computer and I would start doing it again. And he said to me, well, babe, you made some progress. You're here for the children, but you're not now here for us as a couple. And I was like, you're right. So I made some changes in my life um, and I decided that other people needed to know how to do it as well. So I created this driver's method for leadership development. And when I work with leaders, it's a full, it's like a full, I don't want to say full circle, but it's, 
it's seven things that I think if you focus on, and I know because it's worked with myself and with people that I've coached, if you focus on these seven aspects of your leadership, you will have the life that you deserve. You can run an effective school and still live the life that you deserve and that you want. And that's really what I want for leaders and for teachers too. You know, we are in such a career where it's it's just 24-7, 365. There's never enough time to do all the work. It's just, it is what it is, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can make some minor changes in our life so that, I apologize for that, so that we can have our cake and eat it too, you know? Man, all right. So I think uh, kudos to your husband because that's hard to do. I think it's hard. That's the hard like conversation to have. I know my wife and I have had similar conversations where it's you're like, man, thank you, like thank you because I didn't see it. And it's good to, it's good. Um, it's good to know that your spouse loves you enough to be able to tell you that you know which yeah. they should be. So maybe any listeners too for that, like maybe this was the wake up call that you're not getting from your spouse or you're not getting from somebody like, Ooh, maybe I do need to be more present. Cause I think it's one of those things that happens just so gradually. You don't really realize it's happening. And then you're kind of like, Oh dang, you know, cause I know that's the same with phones at the table for kitchen table. It's one thing I try, like I have a, it'll be three in September. Where we'll be like, we'll be sitting at the table. I'm like, man, like it is a quick distraction and he's just wanting to hang out with mom and dad at the table. So we'll put those away. But I, I love that. It was really good. You know, Mitchell, one other thing that I wanted to point out about that conversation that I had with my husband, I'm so thankful for it because for me, as I said earlier, my family is the most important thing. And, you know, they say like on your deathbed, you're not going to say, I wish I went to work more, right? You're going to be, I wish I spent more time with my children. But there were days though, where I might have had to do work at home. And we would have, I would say to him, babe, I just need one hour. He'd be like, no problem. Because I wasn't doing it all the time. You know, I was like, it was a Saturday or something. I'd say, I just need to finish up a couple year end evaluations. He's like, no problem. I'll take kids to the park. But it was, we were able to do that because I was honoring our family time on all of the other days, you know? And the other thing I tried to do also was I used to go to every, every single school event there was. And I started um, when my children wanted to go to them, of course, we would go because we were also families in, in the school community. But when they weren't interested, I just had other people go in my stead. You know, like I had a leadership team. So we would look at the calendar and we would say, which ones are you going to attend? Which ones am I going to attend? And I think sometimes leaders feel like they need to be at everything. They need to be omnipresent. They need to be omniscient. They need to be all these things. But you don't because when you do that, you just are burning yourself out. Yeah. Man, and it's and it's good to know where what your vision is, where are you wanting to go to learn to say no to things. And this is something I was just reading a book on, and I of course can't even remember the book, but it was talking about that. Um, I do all audio stuff, by the way. I don't read, read it, it's all audio, but that it was saying like you need to have a like a life plan for the most part, like where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Because that gives you the ability to now start saying no to things that don't match what you're trying to go towards. And I know as a, I think just as humans, we want to please people. We want to do things and be busy and all that. But man, if you're saying yes to all these things, but you're you're obviously saying no to other things when you're saying yes. So it's hard. But I think saying no to those things like you did saying, hey, I'm going to send somebody else. I don't have to actually be there for this to be effective. effective. I'm going to go be with the, the family because that's your legacy anyways. Is that, it is. It that's, is. Good. that's good. Well, I would love to hear 
um, you know, this is some of the questions I ask all the guests is, you know, hey, what are some challenges you got going on and how are you combating those? Well, you obviously working with schools, you know that they're up against a ton of challenges. And the three main ones that have come up, and I'd love to hear if this is something you face and if you do anything with them or if they're more probably personnel or um, personnel challenges, but is enrollment, teacher retention and recruitment, and COVID were three ones that people were all navigating. I'm sure you've been probably busy the last two years with maybe helping schools with the COVID stuff. Um, but if those are some of the ones, awesome. You can feel free to chat about those and some strategies you have to help schools. Or what are some other ones that maybe we haven't even had come up yet that we haven't thought of? Yeah, that's awesome. I actually uh, led my school through COVID, through the closure, and then through the next year where we were where we were, you know, hybrid. And then that's when I left. So it wasn't the perfect time to leave, but I did lead the school for co through the COVID pandemic for a year and a half. I would say that all those things are true, but I think that there's a large umbrella. I think there are two. I think one is burnout. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of educators are experiencing burnout. And uh, the other one I think is culture, you know, and if you have a strong school culture, then, I mean, teachers are going to leave. They, they will. There, You will always have teacher turnover. But the, the mass resignations that we're seeing this year, a lot of it is because of COVID. But a lot of it also is because of the pressure that's been put on educators through this pandemic. You know, go home, teach virtually in a way that you weren't, you know, you weren't prepared to do. You know, having an online course or an online school is very different than just going virtual. You know, so we had to pivot. And I'm so proud of what our educators in the United States did. They stepped up, they stepped out, and our kids are doing really, really well because of it, thank goodness. But all of those things take a toll on it. And I think if you if you dial it back and you focus on school culture, and people are probably like, oh, yeah, 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 school culture. But school culture is more than just how you feel when you walk in the door. My second book is called Happy Teachers, Joyful Students, Engaged Families. And it talks about the school joy method, like all these things you can focus on in your school to make sure that it's joyful. Yesterday, I was working with a school that has a new superintendent, and I've been working with the new superintendent since October. And I'll be working with this school for a number of years. And what came up yesterday was I actually said to the teachers, they've had five superintendents in 10 years. And I said to them, I am not a doctor, but I'm diagnosing you all with PTSD. And they said that's exactly what we have because it's been a, a revolving door of superintendents. And, you know, and of course, they remember all the bad things that the superintendents did. And then the new superintendent comes in, you know, do we trust her? Do we not trust her? And all of that stuff. And we, um, through my coaching, we did a SWOT analysis in the fall. I had her, we talked about how to launch her year. And, and she did a, a survey with her staff. And then she committed, co created a committee and they did a SWOT analysis. And then they brought me in. I was with her the whole time. But yesterday I met the team and we put them into small groups. And there were four groups. And the both two groups were like, this is, this is leadership's responsibility. And I said, I disagree with you. The responsibility for school culture is everyone's responsibility. And you're sitting here and you're on this committee focusing your goal is school culture. And you're saying the leadership has to do it. The leadership is only a few people. Your school is made up of children and, and staff members. And what can you do in this group? What are two or three goals you can make that teachers can commit to and the school community can commit to, to get past that. And um, 
I said, you are disempowering yourself by saying it's the superintendent's job. We're here to tell you we're empowering you to make some changes. What do you want to see different? This is your home. This is, you know, this is your home as, as well. What do you want to see change? And, and I think when you have a culture where it's everybody in, you know, where people all have a say and it's not just lip service, which this school has experienced over time, then people get that buy-in again. They get this joy again. And after I met with that team, I met with the PBIS team. And they were talking about how the last three years has, has been really tough. They haven't done any activities. And in one hour, we came up with seven school-wide activities that they're going to launch next year. And they were so excited about it. They were like, oh, my God, Donna Marie, this is amazing. Because we focused on what we needed to focus on. We didn't sit and talk about all what happened in the past. It was like, we are responsible. The seven of us in this room right now are responsible for relaunching PBIS in a really positive way what do you want to do and let's make it happen so i think culture is a really a big piece and the other piece is burnout you know people are, are think that they have to do everything you know as educators we tend to be many of us and i don't want to say everyone but we many of us are type a personalities right we want to be perfect we want to do everything to you know the, the highest degree of completion but nobody's perfect you know and, and sometimes progress is more important than perfection and there will always be another project to do. There will be always be another parent phone call. There will always be another crisis. And realizing that you have to set professional and personal boundaries around that. You need to prioritize. And I think those are the two big things that I see as I'm working with schools and I'm talking to leaders. Man, that is good. So now here with burnout, do you feel like our, when you see this happening with burnout, are teachers leaving and going to another school to try it again? Or are they leaving teaching altogether in education? Because I know there is that mass exodus that's been happening too. Well, I don't, you know, I'm not a pundit on that. I don't have all the, the information, but I do know that it is not uncommon for teachers to get burned out in one location and go to another. You know, it's the whole grass is always greener, you know, and then, you know, they might be okay there for a year or two. Then they realize, well, this isn't that much better than the other because, Sometimes burnout is about what we put on ourselves and not what others put on us, right? So if I'm the type of person who works 24-7 and, you know, giving the example I gave earlier, you know, if you don't change the way that you act or the way that you work, burnout is going to continue. And one of the things that I talk about is this idea of self-care. And I know it's like, it's really what you know buzzword right now, but it really is true that if we don't fill our own bucket. So I, I explain it. This is how I explain it when I talk to leaders about it. You think about I'm the head gardener in my building and I've got a water bottle, a water bucket and I'm watering my teachers and my parents and my students and my support staff. And at the end of the day, there's no water left to water me or my family. So what are some things you can do during the day or during your life where it just makes you kind of like Musa, right? Just kind of like pull it in, you know, like this one day, it was towards the end of the year and this teacher came in and resigned and it was like the it was the tip on the iceberg for me and i was like i took my car keys i got in my car i left i was like i'll see you later <laughs> I left i went and got a nice tea i went to lake ontario i sit i called my nephew um you know we prayed on the phone he prayed over me because i was like jimmy i just you know here it is it's like the tables turn right i'm his aunt in her 40s and he's you know in his 20s and he's like auntie what's going on you know and i just said you know i know that god has a plan for me and you know whatever and i pulled myself together and i went back to the school and one of my colleagues who we've worked together since the very beginning she said how was your wusa 
And I said, how did you know? She said, because I know you. And I know that when you feel that feeling, you will go take care of it and you won't stay here. And, you know, because I knew that if I stayed in that place, ugly stuff was going to come out because my reptilian brain was firing like, like fireworks, you know? So knowing what you need too, when you have that and knowing most recently I had a conversation with the superintendent and she got this email from somebody and she was really upset about it. And I said, I understand you're upset, but don't address it now. You need to wait. You need to process through it. You need to think, why did this person put this in writing? What were their feelings? How do you feel? And then have the conversation. And I met with her this week and she said, thank you so much. She said, I, I eventually had the conversation and it was great. And he apologized and I apologized, which never would have happened if they had that conversation right when the guy wrote the angry email and the superintendent read the anger email and got angry. You know what I mean? So it's those type of things that if you can figure out what best works for you, you, it is self-care, you know, how you talk to people, how you interact saying, hold on, time out. I can't have this discussion right now. Going for a walk, whatever it is, is really, really so very important. Man. Thank you for sharing that. That was really good. And I think that's helpful for all the, the school leaders that are listening. Have you seen anything when you go to a school and like, man, they're doing this thing I've never seen before that's going really good for them but anything you're like man like it blew my mind I never thought about doing this when I was at Renaissance um wait Renaissance right that was always called Renaissance Academy, yeah. Yeah. um but anything like that stands out to you that you think you'd like to share that maybe other school leaders could um, implement at their school well tell you it's actually about my school but when we're first year school we actually opened in a school that didn't have walls it, it was almost like a um hanger, a plane hanger. And we were having trouble with uh, management, right? And kids were running out of classrooms and like doing laps around the building and I'm chasing them. And then finally I'm like, why am I chasing them? <laughs> you know, like you stand on this corner, you stand on that corner. And we had one teacher, Kate, who I just mentioned, who did this thing called Holborn Teaching. And I could put her in any classroom and she was like this, the kid whisperer. And she would use these techniques. And I was like, I need to learn these techniques. And the following year, we brought in Chris Biffle with Whole Brain Teaching. And he trained our whole staff on Whole Brain Teaching. And it's a instructional methodology. And it works with behavior incentives. And that Whole Brain Teaching unified our entire school around five rules. And kids were being taught. You know, they went to the arts room. They were being taught the same way as in their classrooms with, you know, and it's, it's a call and response and it's using your body and all a bunch of stuff. It's very cool. Um, and it really transformed our school. It really, that second year brought our whole school together. And I would say anybody who like is looking for something to unify around classroom management, school-wide management and things like that, and just instructional pedagogy, that's really good. It was whole brain teaching. I had never seen it before. And it's something that really stands out when I used to bring people around for tours of our building, they would say, God, that's amazing. You know, I was just sharing with somebody the other day, we, there's a performing arts place here. And um, I always, in our budget, made sure that all of our students got to see a professional performance once a year. So we would go to this, it's called Nazareth Performing Arts Studio. And one day we had like literally 300 kids in there and all these other schools and I needed to get their attention. And I stood up and I said, class, class. And they went, class, uh, yes, yes. And they put their hands together and they were silent. And all these other schools were, and I was like, okay, we're getting ready to go to the buses. Like, it's just, it just becomes ingrained in the way that you do things. And it just makes everything so much easier in your school and in your building. It's really, 
if done well, it's transformational for sure. Mm, good. All right. This last section, I think we're going to spend a little bit on this one. I typically ask every guest, okay. hey, what's a piece of advice or wisdom or something you would share with this other school leaders that are listening? But I think you're going to need, you're going to have more than one. So I think we should go like, what if we could narrow it down to maybe three or five, or it didn't have to be specifically that, but you're like, man, here's a piece of advice I'd give here. Here's another piece of advice I'd give here. Maybe, maybe we do it on different sections. Like here's a piece of advice for enrollment. Here's one for the teacher. I know we kind of talked about that a little bit, but I'll pass it off to you. Kind of just go back and forth with a little bit of strategy and tips. Yeah. So here's my first one that um, I've seen a lot of people chase the next job and not the right job. And I focus on figuring out what your personal mission is and what your values are. And if you are in a job or a position where your mission and values are misaligned with the organization, you are going to burn out, period. End of story. So the first thing is to determine, am I in the right place? You know, gone are the days, Mitchell, where people stay in a school for 30 years. You don't need to do that anymore. You know, if you're not happy or it's not a good fit, it's okay to leave and go somewhere else to take your your bag or take your, you know, skill set elsewhere. So the first thing is don't force yourself into a situation that's not right for you because it's going to always feel like you're going up, uh, you know, you're trying to go push a rock, a boulder up a hill. And sometimes it could be right for you. And then maybe there's a change and then it's not right for you anymore. It could be a circumstance in your own life that has changed. And none of those things are anything to be upset about, but to know that if you're not in the right place and that place doesn't foster the values you have or doesn't support your mission, doesn't light you up, right? You don't get that feeling in your stomach, like I'm excited to be here or worse, you get that feeling like, oh my God, I have to go there again. You need to reflect and see, you know, are there changes that you can make or is it really just not a good fit? And if it's not a good fit, move on. There's nothing wrong with moving on. And I think people are afraid to move on, but moving on can be a really good thing. It gives you an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And to add to that, when you're interviewing for positions, you really need to be your authentic self. Because if you try to answer the questions like, quote, how you want them to hear it and they hire you, they're not hiring who you really are, right? So you don't want all of a sudden them say, well, Donna Marie, you're not the person who showed up when we interviewed you. You know, yeah, I am because I was very, very authentic. So that's really my first one. My second one is about decision making. And as an educational leader, teacher, whatever you are, you make hundreds of decisions every week. And decision-making can lead to something called analysis paralysis, which is I've got all this information. I don't know what to do. I can't make a decision. So as I was thinking about in my book and I was thinking about how I make decisions, because I made a, make a lot of decisions and I make them fairly efficiently. And the reason why I can do that with pretty good fidelity is because I don't worry about what's right or wrong. I worry about what's just right right now with the information I have in front of me, what is the just right decision? I can't worry if it's right or wrong. I don't have a crystal ball, but with the information I have in front of me, what is the just right decision? And in my book, which uh, we'll put in the liner notes, you can get both of my books for free um, if you go to two websites. But in my book, I outline this driver's method for decision-making and the, the steps that you take, like did you, not driver's message, I'm sorry, the I decide method. Like, did you identify the right problem? Did you do your due, due diligence? Did you look at each possible solution? Did you look at the cons and the pros? 
Did you get input from other people? Did you make a decision? And then in, when you made a decision, did you educate others about your decision and then evaluate that decision and look back at it? Okay, did the decision that I make have the outcomes I was looking for? If it doesn't, no problem. Reroute, you know, change, change that decision. But don't worry about right or wrong because the worst thing a leader can do is not make a decision because everyone's looking for you. Like that's your number one job is to be the decision maker. If you're the superintendent, the principal, the department chair, whatever you're, the teacher in the classroom, right? You have to make a decision. So I found that schema and with many of the people that I've coached, they've told me, oh, we have a, we have that handout or, you know, that poster on our wall, you know, as a reminder of how to get through those tough decisions. And, you know, the last one is just work-life balance. You know, you're not good to anybody if you're not good to yourself. And, you know, there are days, like I think about my Irish grandmother who, you know, passed away when she was 75 from cancer that was preventable, but she hadn't gone to the doctor in 25 years. You know what I mean? It's like that type of story. It's if we don't take care of ourselves and we don't do what we need to do, then we're the ones who suffer. And the people that we love are the ones who suffer. You know, I, um, years and years of migraines when I when I'm stressed, you know family doesn't, that's not good for the family. If I have to come home with a migraine and I put myself to bed, then what about my kids? You know, finding things in your life. If you have a partner, have a date night, try to have a date night once a week, find a babysitter if you need to, or just have time together, spend time with your children, spend time with your friends, your family, find somebody who's your go-to person. You know, like my husband's wonderful. I love him. I tell him everything. But my go-to person when I need to be talked off the ledge is my sister because she calls me on my BS. She's like, really, Don? Come on. Is this a stick in the eye? You know what I mean? Like, let's put it in perspective when I'm, you know, find that person. You know, if you're a leader and, and you, you're you lonely because it's leadership is lonely, find a coach, find a mentor who could be that person for you. Um, and I think that if you focus on those three things, the decision making is huge because we're always making decisions. And the other two really focus on you as a leader. Are you in the right place? Are you feeling fulfilled where, where you are? And are you taking care of yourself so you can take care of others? Man. All right. Well, so I loved all of that. I want to make sure we don't, I know we can put stuff in the notes, but if you want, do you want to mention a website on the actual recording? Yeah, sure. So you can actually go right to my actual uh, company website, which is www.consultdmc.com. And you can download free copies of both of my books. The first one is So You Want to Be a Superintendent, Become the Leader You're Meant to Be. And the other one is Happy Teachers, Joyful Students, Engaged Families, A Guide for Building School Community That Works. You can also check me out. I also have a podcast uh, called Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast, which is launching season two soon. And that's where I talk to different leaders from across the country about how they make sure that there's joy in their life, personally and professionally. Love it. Love it. Well, Donna, thank you for taking time to be on the podcast. This has been very helpful. I've learned from it. So I'm hoping, obviously, other school leaders that are listening, they're going to be like, man, I can take that one back to my school, which, of course, is my goal, my vision. So thank you for doing what you're doing and being there to to help and to guide these schools that are needing help because I can tell already you you have a heart for it and you're, you're really good at it. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. And if I'm ever up in Rochester, if I'm ever doing a Niagara Falls trip, I'd love to grab dinner and go hang out and meet, meet you and um, learn more from you. That'd be awesome. And this has been such a pleasure for me. I love serving leaders. I love, you know, being thought partners with people. So if anybody needs me, just reach out. Awesome. Donna, thank you so much. Thanks, Mitchell. 
Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Dr. Donna for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love their chat and I love what she's doing and I'm wishing her and her company nothing but the best as they continue to grow and pour in to more people. And if you're a school that's listening to this and you're like, man, I really need help growing enrollment or figuring out what to do with the leads that are coming into my school, we have the system for you. It is the school success system that we have built and we would love to show it to you and see if it's going to be a good fit for your school. You can check us out online, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or if you're a Facebook user, hey, connect with us online on Facebook. We have a private community just for school leaders called School Success Makers. That's School Success Makers on Facebook. I'd love to personally see you in there. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for any future episodes or people you think we should interview, hey, let us know that too. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, guys, we will be here next week with another amazing guest on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.